0: This, well, there's just no way I can finish it up tonight. But this, we're, we're in the last message of Ruth. Uh, probably be this week and next week, as we talk about rejoicing. And uh, we've had a great, we got a great end to the book of Ruth. A bad, a book that had a bad beginning, uh, but a great end. It began with remorse, ends with rejoicing. Began with death, ends with life began with dishonor for God, it ends with honor for God. And we like books that end this way, don't we? I, I like books with good endings. Once I like movies with good endings too. I don't know what in the world. Once in a great while, I'll see a movie with a bat like Old Yeller. What's the deal with Old Yeller? What Shot the dog at the end of the, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry I just ruined it for you. But uh, <laughs> that, is, uh, that is a terrible way to end a movie. And so, and a book. But I, I go further than this. I like to see this in lives as well. I like to see it, I would like to see it in my life that there would be a strong finish. Nothing is worse than seeing a preacher or a Christian that had a great start and then a weak finish or a bad finish. Had a promising future and then ruined it, whether it was uh, sin or uh, what, whatever came into their life they allowed. And uh, I have found that people remember the end more than the beginning. You ever notice that before? You don't remember all the accomplishments if somebody has a great moral failure. You just remember the moral failure. I'm thinking of a president. He served in the US Naval Reserve during World War II. He was the second youngest vice president in American history. He vastly improved relations with China. He helped reduce tensions between the United States and the Soviet Union. He initiated the desire for achieving self-sufficiency and energy. That's a big one. He established the Environmental Protection Agency. He made significant contribution to fight drugs and cancer. He ended U.S. involvement in Vietnam. He, he accomplished many, many, many things, but we only remember Nixon for one thing. Remember Nixon for I was, I'm not a crook, and, and uh, we remember Nixon's disgraceful resignation. People remember the end more than they do the beginning. So it's important that we pay attention to how we live our Christian life and how we maintain our testimony. How a thing ends is very important. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8 says, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And So when it comes to life, or when it comes to a book, or even a movie, I like a good ending, and here in Ruth, we have it. We have a great ending. Let's look at uh, verses number 13. We'll start chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. When he went in to her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. The women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which have not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life. And a nourisher of thine old age for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. The women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, "There is a son born to Naomi," and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Father, I thank you for this evening. I pray, you'd help us in the next few minutes here, do justice to this passage in Jesus' name. The good conclusion of the book of Ruth uh, has to do with the good character of the people in the book of Ruth, especially in Ruth and Boaz. A good finish is dependent on a good performance. We're not going to have a strong finish if we're not doing right in the process. And so they did right. They, we went through and looked at all the wise moves and choices that Ruth made and all the things Boaz did to stay above board and to keep things right and proper all these different things, this is what led to the good ending. And a, a great, the great ending of this book pictures the work of the gospel, and uh, which also brings a good ending in life. Amen? What a blessing that makes. What a difference that makes, uh, the gospel, in, uh, in the ending of a life. We just went through a funeral here and, and you know, with the, just actually met with him yesterday again and, and tried to spend, pray for them, for Robert Hogg and his family but uh, doing good, but knowing where she's at, knowing what's uh, that she's in heaven and she's rejoicing. Uh, we can see the gospel work in two different ways here in the ending of this book. Uh, first, we see the gospel work in redemption. Now, we talked about this to some length already, but it was the redemption in this story that makes it end so well. Boaz was the kinsman redeemer that foreshadows Christ. He redeemed some property. He married Ruth. Uh, he produced a son that would seal their legacy and, and uh, of course, keep put them in the word of God. Redemption can make a poor beginning uh, have a great ending. That's life, too. Have, how many times have you seen that? Somebody that's just uh, being destroyed by sin. God gets a hold of them and it changes their lives and it makes a good ending for a bad beginning. Second, we see the gospel work in a new birth. It was a newborn child which brought a good ending to the book. And so it is in salvation. It is new birth that assures a good ending in life. The new birth is needed for the soul to go to heaven. Jesus said this to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Ruth shows us the blessing also of a godly marriage. Boaz and Ruth were godly people. Their marriage was untainted. Boaz made strictly sure of that. He went overboard to make sure that everything was proper and all in place and everything pleased the Lord, not surprisingly, it produced great blessing in what we see in the last 10 verses of the book. That's not an accident. Would, it, would to God that all marriage, today, marriages today brought such blessing. By the way, good marriages bring a blessing on society. Bad marriages bring a curse on society. Uh, if people did things God's way, we would have a much lower divorce rate. We would have a much higher rate of successful marriages. But uh, unfortunately, many marriages are a curse on society instead of a blessing. Instead, this marriage was done in the will of God, it was done properly, and so it had the blessing of God on it. Let's look at the cause of rejoicing, probably just get through one point tonight, but the great rejoicing here is caused by the birth of the baby boy. Now, of course, a lot of joy is present when a new baby is born. We can see this especially in the birth of uh, this boy to Boaz and Ruth. Uh, Look at verse 13. We see the commitment for the birth. So Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. When he went into her, the Lord gave her conception. Boaz has made a commitment in the presence of ten witnesses at the gate that he would marry Ruth. The reason he did that or the commitment he was making was so that in verse 10, to raise up the name of the dead upon his, that's Malan, uh, that was her first husband that died, on his inheritance that the name of the dead be not cut off. Now in verse 13, we see the fulfillment of that commitment. The marriage in the commitment, he took Ruth and she was his wife. Boaz kept his word in this matter. He did what he said he would do to produce a child in the name of the dead. This, is uh, of course, was their custom. We've talked about this at length and won't go through it all again. Leveret marriage. Boaz had told the kinsmen that to redeem the land, the Redeemer had to marry Ruth as well. He didn't want to marry Ruth. So uh, he gave Boaz the option to redeem the land before the witnesses in the gate. There, uh, Boaz said that's exactly what he would do, and now he has done it. He was faithful to his word. It's nice to see faithfulness in connection to marriage here. Already mentioned that the marriage was a good marriage and helped to make the ending of the book good, which is uh, how, how to make the ending of all of our lives better. A good marriage. A good marriage will have faithfulness associated with it. God's plan is for one woman, one man, for life, and that's the that's the plan. God has mentioned a while ago. If God, if people just went with God's plan, and I regularly get calls from people that want me to marry them, and of course we have a process that we go through, uh, because as I explained to them, we want the marriage to work. And uh, no, you don't just walk in. I marry you, and you walk out. Uh, we have a process we go through. Uh, are you living together? before marriage. That is a curse upon the marriage. It's not God's plan. It's not the way it ought to be. And when you do that before marriage, you're putting a big strike against marriage. And there's a whole long list of questions we can ask, but people think they can do things not God's way and then get God's blessing on it. It's just not going to work that way. This one, Boaz, did everything right, and it paid off. It pays off when you do things God's way. It always does. Our desire here at Bible Baptist should be to see marriages work and go the distance. does not mean that when they do fail, we're not here to lift up the ones that, uh, you know, to help those that, that fail in it, but God's plan is that faithfulness would abound. Look at the morality and the commitment too. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and he went in unto her, and the Lord gave her conception. Boaz went in unto her after he married her, not before. The morals here are impeccable. The child that Ruth bore brought about much rejoicing, and it was not born as a result of an immoral encounter. Uh, This was, sex here was preserved for marriage, as it should be. This needs to be emphasized a lot more today, which it certainly isn't in our public schools. I mean, they're teaching all about biology, but nothing about responsibility and right. And so we, uh, we ought to teach this in our homes and in our churches, because this is an absolute curse on our land. Talk again, we go back to why so many marriages fail. You you have, that's why you have the little nine, ten-year-old boys on our bus route when we're running the bus here in, in Brookings and talking about their exes. This, uh, their list of exes. He had this ex was here, that ex was there, and he was like nine, you know. And uh, so you date, break up, date, break up, date, break up, date, break up, marry. What comes next? What, you, what have you patterned yourself out for the last... 10 years of your life. And so we need to teach our kids that. Uh, This is one of the purposes, by the way, of having someone like Nick come and work in our church, somebody that kids can connect to them. Uh, He's not that far ahead of them in age, but someone who has done it right, and someone who is not afraid to uh, instill in them God's expectations in this area. And he isn't, and I'm grateful. We've talked a lot about that in our interviewing and uh, planning process of him coming, you know, these are areas that we need him to work with, and the, the world is screaming, Christians are stuck. I don't want that to be the case here. I want to be have clear answers for what the world is falsely teaching our children, right? So the joy from the birth of this boy is directly related to the morals of the husband and wife, and we need not forget that, because today, again, as I remind preached on this before, joy is not something we seek. Joy is not something you're going to go after and find. You'll never find joy by seeking it. You find joy by doing right. It's a byproduct. Joy is a byproduct, not a direct product. And so you have joy and rejoicing when we do right. Look at the conception in the birth. The Lord gave her conception and she bare a son, verse 13. Emphasis here is on the fact that it was the Lord who gave conception. The Bible says in Psalm 127.3, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Again, the world sends a different message, don't they? It sees, doesn't see a reward in having children. sees them as a curse, and they've come up with a cure for that. They prescribe abortion to solve that problem. And, you know, I don't mean to make outlandish statements, but with the abortion practices in our world today, Hitler's starting to look like a Sunday school teacher in, in comparison. At the amount of people that <coughs> people, babies that we are slaughtering in the womb, in the nations of the world, abortion far, far outnumber the number of people that Hitler killed. The hypocrisy in our government too is just—it's it's so obvious in this matter. They make laws about seat belts, helmets, safety seats that they have to sit in. Until they're like twelve years old now or something. If they're small kids, <laughs> uh, they got to sit in these different seats. Uh, they're, now they're trying to make laws for vaccination at the same time they pass laws to protect abortion it's, it's wickedness the government seems more inter- in, interested in protecting the child in the car than they are in protecting the child in the womb in fact it's a lot statistically it's a lot safer in a car than it is in a womb today as a child in america so uh, statistics uh, are are, are damning on that about what we are letting ourselves get into. It's only a matter of time before a nation will experience judgment from God for that. The Lord gave her conception, the Bible says, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Both of those things are still true today. Look at the uh, community at the birth there. The child born to Ruth was born in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was not a big town. In fact, it was a very small community. It was so small that it was left off the register of cities that Joshua took in Joshua 15. Uh, Because of some of the famous births in Bethlehem, that town has become very famous. The birth recorded here in the last chapter of Ruth is one of them. Obed was born in Bethlehem. The first famous birth in Bethlehem. Anybody know what that was? Uh, Benjamin. Rachel gave birth to Benjamin. And uh, Genesis chapter thirty. In fact, she died giving birth to Benjamin in Genesis thirty-five. Another was that of David, First Samuel sixteen. He was born in Bethlehem. Later became the king of Israel. Can you think of anybody else that was born in Bethlehem? Luke chapter two. Jesus Christ, of course, really put it on the map. But thou, the Micah five two. But thou, Bethlehem, if if ah, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now he mentioned the smallness of the community here, but hey, it is not the size, but the sort that matters. Amen? I'm glad that's the case in our Christian life too. And it's like Bethlehem in our Christian life. When you inject Jesus Christ into it, all of a sudden you become somebody now. And uh, you might have been small before, but now your size becomes significant. It isn't your size that counts so much of what Christ can do through you. I love that verse in the in the uh, in First Corinthians, I think, uh, where it talks about us when we stand before Christ, and He will uh, the fire will judge our work of what sort it is, not what size, but what sort. That's what's so important. All right, uh, the congratulations here in the rejoicing when babies are born, women show up to congratulate. It's just today they call them showers. All right, baby showers, and they spend time fussing over the baby. That's not a bad thing, by the way. In Ruth's case here, the women also showed up to congratulate the grandmother. This was the one that they knew Ruth was. Now, it's true that technically speaking, Naomi's not really the grandparent. She's more like an aunt of this baby. But Ruth, being her former daughter-in-law, the child was being born to carry on the line of Naomi's son. The honor of grandmother was given to Naomi, rightly so. Look at the praise for the Lord, verse 14. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. Uh, There's three features of this praise, the readiness in the praise. Blessed be the Lord. This showed that they were ready to praise God for the blessing. Praise God ought to be the first blessing. Praising God ought to be the first reaction, I should say, when blessings come in our life. We ought to react by praising the Lord. So many times people praise everybody but the Lord uh, for something that comes from Him, even if they praise God at all. Uh, but I, I like the praise that was given earlier. You know, it seems might seem silly to outward. It doesn't seem silly to me that something starts the first pull. I mean, that's a blessing right there. Uh, because we've all been there where things don't start for half a day and you're sitting there until you figure out it's out of gas. You know, whatever. But uh, praising the Lord for some for good things that happen. We ought to do that. Uh, we People like to praise themselves. As I said a few weeks ago, I think I mentioned in a message, we, we give ourselves credit when things go good. <laughs> we blame God when things go bad. Let's praise Him. They did that here. Who do you praise for the good things in your life? Then the redemption and the praise, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman. The word kinsman in this sentence is the Hebrew word goal. We've talked about this before, which means redeemer. And praise is given that Naomi had a kinsman, who could redeem her property and then also provide a son. This blessing reflects the gospel blessing that the gospel provides a redeemer for everyone. Naomi was not left without a kinsman redeemer. Mankind is not left without a kinsman redeemer either. Pictures are great throughout this whole book. The Bible says in Revelation 13.8 that God provided a redeemer for all mankind from the foundation of the world. Acts 2.21, so that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men have no excuse if they go to hell because God provided all that was necessary to escape it. And so, he's not left us without a redeemer. Now, the sad thing is most people don't want one. And uh, think about if Ruth had rejected Boaz's offer of redemption. What if she'd rejected him? There would have been no child, no rejoicing, she wouldn't have had Christ in her line. Uh, there would have been none of this had she rejected a kinsman, redeemer. Also, we should not either reject. So. The recognition of the praise that his name may be famous in the land. He became famous because of his willingness to redeem Elimelech's property here, Mary Ruth. Remember the nearer kinsman's name? No, we don't. We don't have any idea what his name was. Uh, he did not. The Bible doesn't record his name. Uh, he doesn't have any fame to be famous in Israel there. A recognition of God's sight will not come when we, when we refuse to sacrifice and do God's will. Recognition in God's sight will not come when we reject Redeemer, Jesus Christ. This is what the nearer kinsman rejected when he chose not to marry Ruth because uh, he wouldn't have Christ in the line there. So, uh, of course, we didn't understand this at the time, probably, but we know this from what happens after. Then the prediction of the future here. That's where we'll pick up next week. Uh, He shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. And so we'll start there next week as we wrap up this book. And uh, it's been a blessing learning about Ruth and Boaz. Thank you.